It's 8.30 on Wednesday, September 12th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, learn about the two search and rescue teams headed to the East Coast as hurricanes threaten the U.S. Then, a moving story of recovery from a deadly addiction. Everyone deserves a second chance. I was given a second chance. I was shown grace. And if I can do it, anyone else in Mississippi can do it. And the nation's chief cultural ambassador is back in his home state, saying it pays to invest in Mississippi. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Search and rescue crews from Mississippi are on the way to Virginia in anticipation of Hurricane Florence. Two swift water rescue crews from the State Office of Homeland Security will spend at least two weeks in the affected area. Steve Beard is State Search and Rescue Coordinator for Mississippi. He tells MPB's Ezra Wall more about how Mississippi is lending a hand to neighbors in need. Uh, we're actually sending two teams, uh, two FEMA-type two Swiftwater teams, and uh, they're actually being deployed to Virginia. And uh, Virginia, is that are they headed to Virginia uh, uh, as sort of uh, so they can be out of harm's way when, when the, the thing lands, or is there uh, uh, is, is a storm expected to impact Virginia uh, yeah, the, more heavily? The storms, uh, yeah, with the flooding event, the, uh, the storms are expected to, uh, the flooding event in Virginia, and uh, in a in a disaster situation, the states put in an EMAC system of resources that they need, and we feel that resource that Virginia had out there. So, Okay. And EMAC stands for Emergency Management Assistance Compact, right? Yes. What, yes. what, what kind of an agreement is that? It basically means that any state that's participating in that can, can request help, and, and whoever's able to help out helps out? Yes, sir. You, uh, they, they put the request out there in the system, and the other states pull up the system and see what resources they have to fill. And, uh, and then the Virginia accepts our proposal on uh, pay rates and such and the cost, and uh, then we go help. It turns out in times of disaster like this uh, to be pretty important because if you think about it, most states wouldn't have, you know, it would be cost prohibitive to have personnel just ready at all times for all circumstances to be able to accomplish everything in the most major disaster. So it it's nice to have a system where we can count on our neighbors and we can lend a hand. Oh, ab- absolutely. In, in all the emergency managers and emergency management agencies, search and rescue coordinators, usually we have conference calls between each other, say the Atlantic States search and rescue coordinators get together twice a year. So we we know each other's wants and needs, and we know what's out there already. So your your teams that are headed out there are swift water rescue teams. What what are the various kinds of rescue teams that you coordinate here in Mississippi? Uh, We we do all technical rescue, uh, rope confined space, trench, collapse with water so we we cover the the total gamut of of technical rescue plus overland rescue and how big is it how big is a team or, or is a team that's the, each team the same size uh depending on the typing and fema comes up with that typing uh a type two team is is 19 individuals we're taking 20 21 per team so we've got 42 total going 
Okay, and they're going to Virginia uh, in preparation for uh, bad weather that is uh, in, you know, on the on the way to the east coast of the United States right now. And then, is there any idea how long they're expected to be there? Our mission is for fourteen days, so uh, they can we can finish the mission prior to, or they can extend the mission. That will be up to Virginia. So at this time of year, obviously with hurricane season, lots of lots of thoughts about Hurricane Katrina, uh, striking Mississippi uh, those years ago, and and especially uh, this particular week, lots of thoughts about the response to nine eleven and uh, all of the workers who, uh, well, really sacrificed their lives, many of them, uh, in 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 response to that kind of effort. Talk about the importance of of states. Uh, being prepared, not just uh, individual people being prepared, but on a on a government on a response level, being prepared for the emergencies that happen. Well, you, you mentioned it earlier. No, no one state can have enough resources to handle disaster on their own. Uh, so the the EMAC system and the states working together is important. Uh, say that again. Going back to the Atlantic states, FEMA region three and four, we work closely together because if a hurricane is going to impact the eastern coast we can go help and vice versa knowing the resources that we have and uh, and how we can respond and 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 help each other steve beard is the uh, state search and rescue coordinator for mississippi Uh, steve thank you very much for the work that you do and uh and for speaking to me today all right thank you sir hurricane florence is expected to strike the east coast late this week Listen to MPB News on all your devices. Just download the MPB public media app or tell your smart speaker, play MPB Think Radio. Coming up, a moving story of recovery from a deadly addiction. Everyone deserves a second chance. I was given a second chance. I was shown grace. And if I can do it, anyone else in Mississippi can do it. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you miss anything on MPB Think Radio, you can always stay up to date by logging on to our website at mpbonline.org or use your mobile device and download our MPB public media app. This is MPB Think Radio, where Mississippi is our mission. Get your MPB car tag anytime. It doesn't even have to be up for renewal. Simply go to your county office to sign up. When you get an MPB car tag, a portion of the fee helps MPB continue to educate, inform, and entertain Mississippians. For details, visit mpbonline.org slash car tag. We'll see you on the road. Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. More Mississippians are dying from opioid overdoses each year. In 2016, there were 180 opioid-related deaths in the state, according to the U.S. government. That's more than six deaths per 100,000 people in Mississippi. A group working to provide services and erase the stigma attached to drug addiction is called Stand Up Mississippi. Angela Millette works with the group through the State Department of Mental Health, She's also a recovering addict. She says new treatments can help people like her survive overdoses, but that's only the beginning of the recovery process. Narcan is only going to work if you're overdosing from opioids. 
It's not going to work if you're overdosing from cocaine or methamphetamine. There is no cocaine or stimulant reversal medication for those kind of overdoses. Narcan only works if you're overdosing from opioids. But don't people on opioids often go to heroin or vice versa? Yeah, heroin is an opioid. So, but more. heroin sounds so much worse than it does, doesn't it? And so that's, hydrocodone. <laughs> that's the whole problem. That's the whole problem. That's why we're in this situation today is because m- most people don't understand that the Oxycontin that they got for a broken leg has the same effect that heroin does. They don't understand how a prescription from their doctor that they really, really liked, you know, back five, six years ago can lead them to shooting up heroin five years later. Now, what is the drug that's like 20 times stronger than... So that's fentanyl. Fentanyl, car fentanyl, which is 500 times stronger. No way. Uh, Morphine, heroin, Oxycontin, Dilaudid, they're all the same. They're all opioids and they all produce euphoria. They all relieve pain. And and that's that's how the transition happens. You know, most people, over 80 percent of people who go to treatment for opioid addiction will tell you that their their heroin addiction began with a prescription for pain pills. And and so that's part of what we do at Stand Up Mississippi. We try to to educate the public on that, you know, because just like you didn't know, you know, most people don't realize the connection between prescription opioids and street opioids. They're the same thing. And yet the perception, the social perception is so much different. Somebody that's struggling with addiction because they were prescribed a a painkiller, as opposed to someone shooting up heroin in the street in a back alley somewhere, we don't think of them as the same people. That is a horrible stigma that needs to go away. You know, one of one of our partners of Stand Up Mississippi and a great friend of mine, um, his name is Lieutenant John Harless, and he works for the Mississippi Bureau of Narcotics. And he often says, and I'm going to steal his words here, but he often says, for every person you see on the side of the road or sleeping on a park bench who you say, oh, yeah, that's a heroin addict. He said, I can take you downtown and show you somebody who puts on a suit and tie every morning and picks up a briefcase and goes to work, and they're an opioid addict too. There's no difference. And that's what we have to to start talking about. You know, we have to teach our kids that addiction can happen to any of us. It doesn't matter how good your grades are, what kind of jobs your parents have, how much, you know, success you do or don't have. Addiction can happen to any of us. You yourself were saved by Narcan. I was. Can you tell us that story? Sure. So a little brief history. Um, My addiction to painkillers began when I was 27 years old, following a a miscarriage from my first pregnancy, and I was prescribed pain medicine. But I also just didn't understand anything about emotional health or grief. Um, All I knew was I wanted to pretend that I wasn't upset, and these pills helped me go back to work in a fairly short time and forget about what how upset I was. So fast forward a little while, um, my addiction progressed pretty rapidly, and I went to, to buy, purchasing painkillers illegally. And then 
about a year and a half later, I began IV use of opioids. And uh, in 2012, I overdosed. I was revived with naloxone by an EMT. And then I was court-ordered to go to treatment. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me. I came here to Jackson and went to treatment in a place called Friendship Connection. And those women just embraced me and told me, you know what, it's okay. We can get through this. And they taught me how to pray. And they taught me how to forgive myself. And and here I am today. Working for an agency that wants to help people. Absolutely. Everyone deserves a second chance. I was given a second chance. I was shown grace. And if I can do it, anyone else in Mississippi can do it. You know, we just have to, to empower people and give them help when they need it. Angela Mallett, thank you. Thank you. For more information on Stand Up Mississippi, visit standupms.org. Coming up, the nation's chief cultural ambassador is back in its home state, saying it pays to invest in Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, everyone. I'm Russ Robinson, inviting you to join us right here on MPB for Friday Night Under the Lights. We'll get you all the scores and keep you up to date on all the players at 10 p.m. every Friday night this fall. Mississippi Public Broadcasting and Friday Night Under the Lights. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy on the go with the My Blue mobile app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. More information at bcbsms.com. It's good to be blue. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The gypsy woman told my mother before I was born. I got a boy child's coming. The news legend Muddy Waters is just one of the American musical giants featured in Clarksdale, Mississippi's Delta Blues Museum. The museum offers exhibits and educational programs that teach Mississippians and tourists of all ages about the worldwide impact of the blues. New funding from the National Endowment for the Humanities will now help the museum tell those stories in a more interactive way. Mississippian John Parrish Petey is chairman of the NEH. He spoke with MPB's Alexandra Watts in Clarksdale. Humanities in preserving cultural experiences, especially in less populous areas like the Delta. So the National Endowment for Humanities does a, a couple of things. We invest in documentaries, libraries, museums, and as a Mississippian, one thing that I know from growing up in the state is that we have such a rich cultural heritage, and not everyone knows about it. And in many ways, they they have an incomplete understanding of the culture. And so whether I'm in Mississippi or a few weeks ago, I was in South Dakota in the Badlands with the Lakota uh, Community College. In each case, it's an example of great American culture that other citizens should know about. So, for example, the the reason I'm back here in Mississippi is to talk about a $460,000 grant uh, to the Delta Blues Museum. And this is a great example of the oldest music museum in the state. It is, in many ways, a national anchor for talking about blues music. And they have a wonderful collection. And what our agency does is we want to help them present that collection in a more modern way, in a 
way that has the original artifacts as well as sound and and tell that story in a different way, in a more complete way. And you kind of touched on this, but what is the lasting benefit to having these funds? Like, yes, it's going to help the museum, but also the community as well. Can you kind of touch on that? So two things. One, as citizens, my agency is a federal agency. We want people to live informed lives, enriched lives. We want meaningful lives. And that means being in touch with your culture, the visual arts culture, your musical culture as a nation. So that's part of it in terms of aspirational, right? On the other hand, it's just pure good business. Cultural tourism matters across the country and and is very important in Mississippi. So every federal dollar that we award as an agency generates $5 in additional economic activity. And you went to graduate school here and you were born here, correct? Yes. How would you compare Mississippi to other states across the nation, especially when it, in terms of cultural arts? I think every state has its own identity, but there's something special in Mississippi. Absolutely. So in the last year, I've gone to 22 U.S. states, and I'm about to go to South Korea to, to give a talk. And I can tell you, when I go into a room and I say I'm from Mississippi – people notice, people pay attention. They say, oh, what about Elvis? What about Eudora Welty? What about Richard Wright? They, they have this identity. They look at our culture as their culture, the nation's culture, and often the world's culture, when you're talking about Faulkner and other writers and, and musicians. And so that's something that I've always carried great pride in, in being from the state. I think the difference is now we used to tell as a state the stories of these national, these large writers. And what I love is that the NEA and the NEH, these federal agencies, are now saying, do you know about this blues marker? Do you know about this civil rights marker? Not just Megar Evers and the extraordinary sacrifice of of these iconic Americans, but also the quieter voices that that people didn't know about. And when I was being raised here, I didn't know about it, my generation. And so the youth of today in Mississippi and across the country are starting to understand a more rich and diverse roster of of people who changed and shaped this country. So focusing on the future, I know we had the youth band here. How important is it for them to be introduced to the cultural parts of Mississippi? How do you hope that this can benefit them in the future? I think it's vital. First thing is, as much as I love books, uh, experiencing something can't be substituted quite by books and or by paintings on the walls. So to perform the music matters, to, you know, to paint, to write, to experience these, these arts personally. The other part I loved about being at this museum is looking around, and there's a U.S. senator's representatives, and there are state representatives here, and there are cultural leaders, and there are, you know, leading citizens and volunteers. It can't overstate enough that we model the behavior as adults that we want in our communities, and that means showing up. That means engaging and and not depending on somebody else to do it. My federal agency gives out $120 million a year, but those are catalytic dollars. We always want those federal dollars married to local dollars, to state dollars, to, to regional dollars. And so as much as anything, I love seeing the students and the promise of the students. I love seeing their younger siblings and their parents and grandparents here as well. National Endowment for the Humanities Chairman, John Parrish Petey. Shelley Ritter runs the Delta Blues Museum. She tells Alexandra Watts, with the 40th anniversary of the museum just around the corner, it's important to constantly update the methods used to share the story of the blues. Right now, um, 
the museum is will be 40 years old in January 2019. And we've been collecting things, and we have a lot of objects, but the objects, um, if you don't read the labels, the objects don't, um, that's the only way we're communicating the story. So by adding sound and some other components, we will tell an even deeper story about the history of blues, and that is what youth, that's how youth are learning these days. They're not walking through reading. And someone my age walks through, I've got a soundtrack um, of most of the people in the gallery, well, really of all the people in the gallery because I know their music, but someone who's not familiar doesn't have that benefit. And by giving the artist's voice to their exhibit, it will really deepen the visitor's experience as well as just broaden everybody's learning. And we want to make those cross connections like the music of Muddy Waters influence the music of uh, musicians today like Jack White or the Rolling Stones, and we want to make those connections for people. And how would you like to see the museum grow even more in the future? Well, I'd like to see us get these exhibits done and then really expand our staffing because I think we could do so much more programming and we have so many more opportunities to bring in uh, jobs in tourism here in the community by having paid docents, um, more activities outside on the Delta Blues Museum stage and just more programming in general. And part of this grant will pay for us to hire a public humanities position or create a public humanities position. And I'm hoping that we're going to develop a lot of templates that we can then fill and sustain. And you were kind of talking about tourism, but how important is cultural tourism, especially not only to Mississippi, but to the Delta as well? Cultural tourism just, I mean, to me, it's the key to understanding everything because when you when you come to the delta and you realize that we're in what used to be literally a swamp a part of the mississippi riverbed and how it was cleared and who cleared it and how it changed and how it evolved into what it is now then you can look at the people that left here that that we know like a muddy waters or a howlin wolf and their voice and that music that they recorded in Chicago really has its roots here and the musicians that we're creating today they had different experiences and even as you just heard the student band perform Got My Mojo Working it sounds different than the way Muddy Waters recorded it or other blues artists in the past or even the way that current artists tonight I'm going to hear Charlie Musselwhite and Ben Harper and when they sing that they'll sing it in their own way but that's Whatever's in that song is what connects all of us and and brings us back. You know, we have more things in common than we do different. And by understanding culture, that's how we can build those bonds. Shelley Ritter with MPB's Alexandra Watts. Hear this conversation again whenever you want by subscribing to our podcast. Just search for Mississippi Edition in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting app. One of the educational programs offered by the Delta Blues Museum is a student blues band. Here they are to close our show, playing yesterday at the museum. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Fix It 101. At 10, it's Everyday Tech. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online 
at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB public media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio. Oh, yeah.